2: Hello, good evening and welcome to this week's Mallover Podcast, the only rugby podcast that gives you the news, views and opinion on the weekend's rugby action, all with a West Country accent. You can find us on Twitter, we are at Mallover Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, although we don't post too much there, but we're still there. Um, all of our podcasts are produced on Anchor, as well as uh, available on Apple Podcasts and lots of other podcatchers, but then you already know that as you found us already. Um this week, a little bit different. There's no Lensman this week. He is otherwise engaged in Japan watching uh, the Japanese version of Richard and Judy. And and Ben has decided to take a holiday in the, in the Kine... Well, Mallorca. I don't even know what islands they are. They're like the... Canary Islands or the Balearics? Balearics. Ah, the Balearics, there we go. Um, that there is the dulcet tones of our resident eye candy, although he's got some competition this week, let me tell you. Um, Phil, farm vet, Phil Elkins, who's no longer a farm vet. How are you, Phil?
0: Yeah, I'm all right, thank you. It's um, It's been a while. It's been a while it since ha- I've um, seen your lovely upside down head, Russ.
2: Oh, mate, that's a ple- it's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. And from... Like so last week we were in Japan with Doug this week we are going to a completely different time zone that probably couldn't be further away from the time zone in Japan I'm guessing, we're joined by the man, the legend in his shed not his mobile shed, his actual shed with no wheels you don't
1: know
2: that. Eddie Stevens MD not medical this doctor
1: this actually is my mobile shed, it's impressive isn't
2: it it's I'm incredible. cruising
1: down the freeway on this right now
2: Oh, mate. Welcome. You're in my house now.
1: Yes. <laughs> it's one thirty p.m. or a.m., sorry, my time. Um, and uh, I was just telling you, my back is injured and currently spasming as I speak. Just as a, a warning spasm, just a gentle quivering it's doing. Oh, uh, I don't be- know if either of you have ever had a uh, horrible back injury before, but it's um... ruined
0: I've, I haven't i have had any uh, gentle quivering for quite some time, what with, uh, being a married man and everything. But,
1: well, that shouldn't um, stop.
0: I, I, did, I did have a disc taken out of my neck about four months ago, so I, I can sympathise with spinal pain. It's not fun. Right.
1: Well, that's my fear, is that I'm worried that it is uh, some kind of disc, herniated disc or something, but all I'm doing to treat it is taking hot baths. and I don't know if that is gonna fix a herniated disc but it seems to relieve the pain a little bit i was telling russ i was just telling you i tried and then aborted uh, a trip to the toilet i sat down and uh and then had to there was a 50 50 chance that it would have gone well and i wasn't prepared to take that risk <laughs> at some point today i'm gonna risk it and uh i'll let you know what happens but
2: oh that's a- it's absolutely incredible um randomly so obviously live in albuquerque new mexico or near albuquerque new mexico Yeah, you are about what is it you five or six hours behind us here in the uk Uh, seven seven hours so that must put you an incredible amount of time behind japan because doug in japan is like six hours ahead of us seven hours ahead of
1: us i think uh i think uh, you, you even heard me say a few minutes ago that it was ten thirty a.m., which is not the correct time. It's 1 30 PM. So that shows how poor my grasp of time is. I don't know why <laughs> I said that. It's 1 30 PM and um I have no idea what time it is in Japan. Four thirty AM. What is it? Four
2: thirty AM. That's why just uh, uh, yeah. refused to come on, because he's a waste of space. I
1: should I should know what time it is in Japan, because I'm basically operating on Japanese time, because I just watch rugby. That's all I do now is i w- I stay up late, watch rugby, and then I wake up in the middle of the night and if there 's rugby on, I watch it it's actually i don't know about you two it's kind of ruining my life
0: <laughs> yeah um, they I, it's, I, they seem to have the most random start times as well so I, match matches kicking off at eight forty three in the
1: morning oh <laughs> they yeah uh, is it it must be some effort to try and appease the rest of the world maybe try to sort of even think make it somewhat watchable for people all over the place but i don't know what's going on i can't even i've watched i've watched an entire half of rugby uh recently and realized that i had no idea what had happened i I, I got to the end of the half and i just went who the fuck am i watching i don't know what's going on and i kind of given up on trying to watch every game i was doing okay for a while but
0: yeah, because yeah. most of them would be middle of the night for you, weren't they? They'll be very yeah, late in they evening. Start, or...
1: They're usually starting around 11 p.m., midnight, and then, yeah, four in the morning. Yeah. Um, ugh.
0: Whereas, whereas Russ and I just have to find excuses to avoid the school trip in the morning. Yeah. Yeah,
1: they... yeah I can't avoid that either. Although my uh, my working from home
2: is is becoming even more sort of thinly veiled at the moment, when you've got games on it like quarter past nine and then quarter past eleven, and you know I'm getting to lunch, I'm getting to lunchtime, and I've literally done no work.
1: Oh yeah, and just to be clear, you both have uh, school children, right? Otherwise, that was a weird thing to say.
0: <laughs> uh, yes, yes.
1: Every morning trips to the primary school, <laughs>
2: just to... and,
0: and some of the are as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Oh amazing. Right well I tell you what let's kick off with talking about some rugby because it's literally coming out of our ears at the moment. Um, round 3 of the Premiership Cup has been all over the um yes all over the show you know we can't get kind of escape the Premiership Cup. Um some great results at the weekend for teams like Exeter as always uh Bath lost to Leicester, Gloucester lost to Quins. And Sale beat Wasps, so uh, there you go. Premiership Cup, excited. All done. All done. All dusted. Um, let's start with England, shall we? The uh, the team that we all want to talk about. We're not too bothered about the other home nations. You know, we're not xenophobic, but you know, they don't like us, and we don't care. <laughs> so uh, let's let's start with England, Argentina. Um, first things first, Eddie. Mm. England have kind of. Uh, say limped that's probably a little bit unfair they've kind of meandered through the early pool games and and were able to meander through Saturday as well due to the uh the incident we'll come on to in a minute how do you gauge England's progress through the tournament so far where do you think you where do you think they actually are at the moment
1: well I the, for the first two games I was actually more optimistic or generally feeling better than most people seem to I I think it's always tricky, and uh, while we, while England was playing not the best teams in uh, Tonga and USA, it's, they're they're not Namibia or Uruguay with respect to those countries. They're not terrible teams, and they're the kind of teams, especially Tonga, that can um, be a bit of a banana skin. So I saw enough enough to to at least not not get too down on them. Um, the Argentina game, a little bit different. First of all, the red card, co- we all, we can all agree the red was the most blatant red card so far, right? Correct.
0: Uh,
1: it,
2: mean, most, most blatant, possibly not, but a stonewall red card. Okay.
1: So yeah. Yeah. Let me rephrase that uh, as blatant of a red card, as you uh, could see. 100%. And, um, have it. But having said that, I don't know if there's any way of getting around it, but I just hate red cards. I think they just ruin games. And as soon as it happened, I knew, first of all, that, okay, and I I hate to sound like uh, an Englishman whining about how everyone hates us, but that is what I am and that's how I feel. I just knew <laughs> that this was going to give the rest of the world free license to shit on us and say, that we only won, but no matter how that match went, everyone was going to say we they were a man down, ignoring the fact that we beat Argentina. Was it two years ago? Um, f- with fourteen men for almost the entire yeah, match,
2: Elliot Daly got sent off, didn't he? Literally, wasn't it like within the first two minutes? Yeah,
1: yeah, immediately. Um, so I was frustrated that we that that would be used as an excuse against us, but mainly because. I, so I know you don't you don't like to listen to uh, or at least Russ you don't like to listen to other podcasts before you do yours I know that but I've listened to a couple and um, and uh, I've forgotten my point now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's that's what other podcasts
1: will do. Yep. What the hell was I going to say? God, Hello? I'm genuinely worried. This happens to me all the time on my <laughs> podcast. I'll be making a point and forget it halfway through. Oh, at
2: least, at least, at least this time with. You know, because you're not completely on your own, we can kind of just fill until
1: until you know i doing you know what I've been doing lately is I'll just stop the recording.
2: Cheated, <laughs> you absolute cheat. you pulling back the podcast
1: curtain. I know, but it's you know I do <laughs> anyway. I think
0: I think the point you're trying to make, Eddie, is that um England beat Argentina quite convincingly, and the red card is ultimately oh. is it's what people end up talking about, but it's a distraction. Before and I think, the red card, they were dominant. After the red card, you've yeah, seen okay. teams fall apart, and they were still dominant.
1: That's ex- you just yeah. That's exactly the point I was going to make. That other podcasters have been talking as if England were getting our asses kicked until the red card, and I felt extremely confident uh, because you know the way Argentina played, you could tell when they came out for that game, super passionate, super fired up at the beginning of the game, and I just felt like it was a matter of time before they were just drained. Exactly. Um, Eddie's
0: Eddie's game plan is not like the South Africa game plan was today, this morning against Canada, where it's play a a mobile free-flowing game and try and pile the points in quite quickly. That's that's never going to be how an Eddie team plays. They might go out hard out. And we've seen it a couple of times where they've made really good quick starts, but it's not about playing loose and free. It's about playing a controlled game until 60 minutes in and then you put the boot in.
1: Exactly. So, and that's, so that's what it looked like to me.
0: Yeah, uh, England were winning all the key areas. They they looked controlled and good. And yeah, I as I say, I think the red card's a distraction. Really. Yes. it yeah. Kind of ruins games a little bit, but
1: oh, I just hate. Them all. And I, and and I also felt sorry for uh, what's his name, the uh, Lavanini. 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 Yeah. yeah. I, I, I do feel sorry for him, even though he has a track record of doing this sort of thing. Isn't he the most carded Argentinian in history?
2: Yeah,
1: um, and he's a dirty player. He is a dirty player. I've seen. You can find YouTube compilations of him doing dirty things.
0: That's why Leicester signed him.
1: They're, yeah. They're, well, they're desperate, aren't they? They're going to. Um, but you could see on his face that was not a, necessarily a dirty tackle. It was a yeah. mistimed tackle, and again you obviously um, i don't want to get too much into bloody head injury um, and all that shit but you have to have an incentive to stop people doing it but if there is if there's any way around just having a team play without you know with 14 men for the whole game that would be great i heard jim so, hamilton jim sorry. hamilton was yeah, suggesting go
2: on carry on i was going to oh, make sorry. a point go on no you carry on cuz you go to. No, i just
1: did was sort of saying the same thing and was suggesting that maybe when when somebody's red carded for 15 minutes, they play a man down, but then they can bring someone on. They have to
0: bring on an under
2: 19 squad player. <laughs> well, here's what I was going to. Here's what I was going to say. And and I I haven't listened to Jim Hamilton. So I haven't listened to, to any other podcasts as as I've stated um, until tomorrow. Now, what I would suggest is. For acts of foul play, for like your punches, your gouges, your stamps, all that sort of stuff, red card, team suffers, that's fine. What about then for a high tackle, which is mistimed, you know, even if it's mistimed or malicious, you go for 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 20 minutes with then an enforced substitution. So that player has to be substituted, can't yeah. come back. Right. So that means if it happens, whenever it happens in the game, a new player comes on. Yes, that you could argue that player would be fresh, but it does take that piece of a bit like if, if you, because ultimately, if you, if you've, if you've high tackled a player, potentially they're going to go off for a HIA and then they have to be substituted. If they fail the HIA, they will have to be substituted anyway, which means that side would be, um, penalised almost because they've, they've had a high shot because of an injury. So what about having that enforced substitution after a 20 minutes in, bin, say, rather than the whole match.
1: Can I I
0: add a bit of nuance to that? So you look at Daly's tackle that he got sent off for against Argentina. We've already mentioned it. Yeah. That was ultimately a mistimed tackle. His, His intention was never to go out and hurt the guy. Similarly, I don't think Lavanini, well, it might have been to go out and hurt him, but it wasn't to go out and smash into his face. Mm. Um, that, to me, is very different from people leading into rucks or leading into tackles with their shoulder aimed towards people's heads. A mistimed time tackle, you're, a tackle is part of the game, a shoulder charge is not part of the game. As far yeah, as I'm concerned, yeah, yeah. I'd stick a shoulder charge in with that punching, headbutting. Yeah, foul, whatever. foul play. Okay. Whereas a mistimed tackle or a tackle you just get it wrong and you go in high, it has to be a red card unless you've got mitigating circumstances. But actually, are we saying it's as serious an offence as somebody trying to decapitate another player, mm. or, or pull their eyes out or whatever? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it is.
2: Yeah, and that's and that's where and that's where it's a little bit wrong, isn't it? Because you know you're getting sent off for however many minutes what it was for it was what 18 minutes gone so that was three quarters of the game argentina played with 14 men now yeah. for argument's sake let's say that it was a 20 minutes in bin followed by a substitution england have 20 minutes to make use of an extra man and then it comes back there so you say yellow card is off 10 minutes red card depending on thing is 20 minutes for a missed time, high tackle or uh, take a man out in the air on a kick chase or something like that. If that's what it's deemed to be dangerous. Yes. And play, not dan- dangerous. Play. Yeah, so you could have like, you know, have a yellow card offense, the red, a red card offense, which is dangerous as opposed to foul play. Then you have foul play. So you have your three levels and there it is. world rugby solved.
0: Yeah. Um, well, while we're talking about cards, um, I like, the framework. I know Dougie hates it, but I like the fact that there's actually some some written down um there's a written down flow chart for referees to to follow. There are two things though that that I think are, are pissing me off about it. One is, and it happened today in the game, Luke Pearce spent about 90 seconds literally talking through each stage of the framework. So it's this so I have to go down this line. Just go and say look it's a It's a tackle it's high, it's contact with the head there's no mitigating circumstances red card. You don't have to literally talk us through the entire
2: stages at that kind of a slow speed you, you don't, but also I think that is as of benefit to him and a demonstrator to world rugby that that is his fault
0: yeah, I just think they could speed it up a bit. I just oh, think agreed. it's it's that it's that slow and deliberate it's like watching somebody in a job interview when realistically you just want them to say this is it it's that 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 bang done um, and then the other thing is yes the framework makes it considerably more objective there's less subjectivity in it but with everything there's always subjectivity in it I mean there was a it was a case um the Canada trial today Rowan Kit TMO wanted to to have it um uh, cancelled for an obstruction but the ref said actually no i, I don't see that with it with everything there is a degree of subjectivity so can we just like stop arguing about whether things are red cards or not and accept the fact there's a framework there a ref a tmo two assistant refs have looked at it and made a decision off the back of it done dusted let's not have flipping whatever his face is the irish journalist comparing every single tackle that's made to what Owen Farrell did, even although they're completely different, and suggesting that that shouldn't be a red card because of A, B, or C. Like, you've got four trained professionals who make a decision on it. Let's just yeah. accept it and roll with it.
1: This is the problem, is you just get this. It's very clear that every decision being made by the referees and by the IOB um, are made within... with with. This distant voice from the shithole of Twitter, social media, that's influencing things far more than I would like. And I think that's why you 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 see all this ridiculous, over the top. Um, oh, it's just gross. It's annoying.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We'll. Um, I'm sure we'll, we'll come back to to referees and, and decisions in in due course. Just back to the to the England game. We had. Um, Three tries for England in the first half through May, Daly and Young's, all very good tries, well worked, uh, oh, yeah. especially the Johnny May try. I was really impressed with that early doors because we did start, I say, slowly, but we didn't come out of the blocks flying like we have done in quite a few other internationals. We did it in the Six Nations very well. We also, you know, done it against the, the two sides early, but that well worked try from May going in in the corner was, you know, it it, it was a sign of things to come for England.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah uh, I think it was, it was control wasn't it it was about control and then the opportunities come and, and actually what I think was really good was we did textbook rugby which is you let the forwards do the hard work and you let the backs do the, the good stuff and score the tries off the back of it
1: absolutely and that's exactly what happened did anyone else feel like um, well throughout this tournament humidity has been a bigger factor than I expected you know, I was thinking in Japan, in my head, it was going to be nice conditions, so there'd be a lot of free-flowing rugby, but every single game, as we've seen, has, been, has had slippery, greasy balls. <laughs> <unforced> <laughs> hey, how,
2: was that just funny? Slippery, greasy balls?
1: <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <coughs> but uh, unforced handling errors throughout. Um, and uh, I felt like in this game in particular, it's almost like they're playing in a in a torrential downpour. That's how much how much slippage there were, there was with the ball. Is slippage a word? Yeah. Good.
0: It
1: is uh, now, yeah. <laughs> good. And uh, I felt like England might have been a bit cleverer with their kicking game. I Actually, actually both teams, I was surprised, didn't kick more. And clever kicking. I'm not a big fan of uh, Ben Young's box kicking necessarily, uh, the way it was going. But I felt like there could have been a, a little bit more um, sort of raking low kicks to put the opposition under. I was just surprised there was less of that.
0: So um, I was in Sapporo September last year, and it's really stifling the humidity. You, you're out there and it's a really nice day. You think, oh, just I'll walk over there. It's only a mile away. And you get halfway there and you're, you're blowing out your asshole. It's, it, mm. it is really sapping humidity. But you're right, the, the quality of rugby as a result has been hit and miss. Um, there's been a lot more drop balls than you'd expect there's, as a result teams are potentially not as expansive as they might want to be um high balls under high balls it's been dodgy as um and actually uh um ali, ali what's Stokes? His face? Stokes yeah said after the game that uh, we've finally seen the game. From Elliot Daly at fullback that Eddie Jones has been looking for. Don't get me wrong, Elliot Daly in, as an attacking force was fantastic. He was never challenged by the Argentinians
2: under a high ball. I
0: can't well, I think remember a single think, one where he was under any any
2: pressure. It's interesting you say that. I think the Argentinians kicked the, too deep. High ball or, yeah, they kicked but, too deep. But they and, also were shit scared of committing any further potential fouls where they would have taken him in the air.
0: Yeah, but he was he was never under under any pressure in the air, and he probably wasn't under that much pressure defensively with with decision making. Um, and I don't think anybody's ever doubted his attacking prowess. It's what's going to happen when you've got Richie Moanga or Bowden Barrett raining down high balls on him with a load of quick big All Blacks running at him.
1: Mm. Well, I've been quite vocally uh, against Elliot Daly playing fullback. But I um, I take your point, but I, I was I, 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 was very impressed with Elliot Daly. Um, but you're right, mainly in attack, but just seemed more assured there than, than we've seen in the past. I was really pleased with him. How does everybody feel, if you don't mind me asking, how does everybody feel about Owen Farrell's performance?
2: <clears throat> I was going to come on to this because mm. there's there's two things. It's a good question, right? So Owen Farrell... As a 12, I sometimes think that he, sl- he tends to slow down our attack. So if we've got George Ford buzzing around, and George Ford has been excellent so far this tournament, so and, I, and I still believe, that we mentioned it before, that two years ago, uh well, when Eddie Jones first came in, it was a Ford-Farrell axis, and it just happened. Ford-Farrell, Ford-Farrell, Ford-Farrell. And then he moved away from it and started playing Farrell and started doing a few other other sort of tweaks. I think that was because he knew that come World Cup time, this is what he was going to do. It was always the plan. It was always what he was just going to fish around for some other things. However, looking at it and even going back to those times when George Ford plays with quick ball, I just feel Owen Farrell doesn't attack with the same vigor. he attacks with the same vigor as he plays at 10, which is a little more controlled and a little more deliberate.
1: So yeah my opinion when I was watching the game and and some people have has suggested that maybe that high tackle affected him, um, I never even considered that during the game. Um, but obviously his goal kicking was terrible but that's that can happen to anyone but I just thought, I thought it was one of the worst England performances I've seen in a very long time. I thought his, his tactical kicking was mediocre. His carrying was very poor. His decision-making was poor. I, I was blown away at how bad, and I haven't heard anyone else say this. That's why I'm asking you. I just thought it was, I, he, I thought he should have been, uh, as Eddie Jones likes to do, hauled off um, pretty early on. So, I mean,
0: I think... so the thing for me, the thing that was noticeable for me is we've got one of the best short ball runners in the world playing outside him.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and I can't remember them using Tuolangi all that much. Um, and, and from that angle, I'm not convinced by the Ford-Farrell thing. I'm really not convinced at all by it. Um, I, the issue with George Ford is when, when we're going backwards, he, looks, he doesn't control the game as well as Farrell but when you have got a pack that's going forward he's he's excellent um and and I kind of I don't know it the midfield didn't look like it was it was clicking all that well um and was that because Farrell wasn't up to it or was that because the tactics were, weren't there I don't know that was that was the notable thing for me was it was actually we basically were using Manu as a decoy runner the entire time he was there Hoping that two or three Argentinians get sucked into looking at him, and I saw more of him defensively, helping where Farrell was probably leaving him a bit short
2: than mm. a,
0: than I did in, in, in an attacking force.
2: So, do you think then that do you think that 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 hit on Farrell in the first half? Do you think it had potentially an effect on his performance or not? I, it's so difficult to say, but like you say, I've seen different. People talk about it, that you know, it absolutely could have done, but yeah. he's saying no, 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 it didn't. But he was it, he was not from four from the tee for a while. He, like you say, he, he didn't he didn't pose a
0: threat. He's he got smashed in the face two weeks in a row by two pretty hard knocks. If it didn't affect him, he would be inhuman.
1: Mm. All I know, I, I would never wish concussion on a player, but I hope that that's what it was because otherwise. I'm worried about him because, like, I don't know. Like I said, I can forgive the the an off day at the posts, um, but everything else was just awful. And this is a guy who I mean, I'm. To be clear, I'm a Owen Farrell fan. I like him at ten or twelve. I think he's a great player, but that was really bad. And another another of our best players. I don't think Billy's been very good this tournament.
2: Well, he's he's injured now as well, isn't he? The likelihood well, yeah, but... he's not going to play against France. What?
1: But it's almost irrelevant. What, like, if he is injured, fine, but it doesn't change the fact that he's not performing. It's, it's
2: he's become predictable.
1: Yeah, in, I don't. In I don't the same, see...
0: in the same way that, uh, and that's why I'm questioning: was it a tactic to use Manu in that way? It's become predictable that the opposition team kick, you're going to get an outside back catch it. he's going to pop inside to Billy, and he's going to charge it forwards. He's going to pick up from three or four scrums and try and run forwards. He's going to be one out runner three or four times and try and run forwards. And there's not much else to his game. And he's, he's he's an excellent ball carrier, but when he's firing, he he does so much more. He brings so much more than just being a good ball carrier. He reads the game pretty well. He he distributes at times when you wouldn't expect him to. But yeah, it's it's become kind of one dimensional. But we.
2: We found another way during the Six Nations, didn't we? We found another way to play without Billy Villapola. Now I'm always I'm always picking Billy Villapola in, in the first strength, first string team. However, you've got to think if he isn't performing, this could be a bit of a blessing in disguise against France at the weekend to say, yeah. right, working and Let's play Mark Wilson at eight. Or like they did at half time on um on Saturday is Lewis Ludlam. Now you, you talk about players that have underperformed potentially. Lewis Ludlam has been exceptional. He yeah. was exceptional against the USA when he was there. He was, he played well against, um, did he come on against Tonga? I can't remember. It's so long, it's so long ago now. He was excellent yeah. against the USA anyway, like yeah. real, seriously yeah. excellent. And I wonder if like, if you if you've got a two laggy to give you front football, Vu Napoli is now fit as well. I think he'll start against France. You know, I wonder if you were to pick someone like um, Cowan Dickey as well, so you don't rely on that single big ball carrier. You've got a number of equally good carriers to give you more options would that tend to open up a france team that've actually looked a little bit shaky so far
0: yeah i'd i'd like to see i like i agree ludden's been great um my concern about ludden when he got originally picked was his disciplinary record's are not fantastic not in terms of cards but he he gave away a lot of penalties but he seems to have sorted that side of it out I really like him as a, as an impact player coming off the bench because he, he does have that physicality that he'll ruin knackered players. I, I'd love to see Wilson, Underhill and Curry and and go full out old school flankers, three of them, um, and just play him off the pitch. Because France will be, they'll be big and they'll be relatively slow around the pitch. And you get three players like that and you'll get turnovers galore. And then you bring on Ludlum when they're tired and he can do what he does.
1: Yeah, I agree that Ludlam works better as an impact player because, and like you said, Russ, Billy would always be my starting eight if he is fit. Um, but yeah, Lewis Ludlam, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit lightweight to be starting at eight. I'd prefer Mark Wilson there. But yeah, he he runs like a man having the most violent seizure imaginable. <laughs> like, it's, you know, you want to just leave the room when he's... But, it's, but you know, he reminds me of a lot um, but probably a little bit better version of it is Tamana Harrison, his teammate at, at Saints. The way that he, every step he fights for, he's never going to go down quickly. Never going to take it go down easy. He's always going to fight for every possible yard. Um, and the, yeah, the, he
0: has, the difference being that Ludlam's last two steps are forwards, and Harrison's last two are backwards.
1: Doesn't matter. As long as you're moving. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: No, I'm yeah. I'm a big fan of Lewis Ludlam. I think I think he's I was questioning that pick early doors. Yeah. But I was. but now it's it's justified. Um the other person who I'm seeing a massive vindication of um of his pick is Willie Hines. Now when he was picked, I thought people like Robson, Spencer, um Spencer more so because he's he's a bit more of a a, a, a tighter Scrum half. Um You wouldn't necessarily want Robson and Youngs to both play the same game. I've been super. In, I've been super impressed with Willie Hines. His box kicking has been exceptional, right on point. What What does Ben
0: Youngs do better than what Willie Hines has done in the World Cup?
2: I'd I, So far in the World Cup, I don't think anything.
0: No, I don't think his distribution's as good or as quick. I don't think his box kicking's anywhere near as good. Um. Yeah,
1: I think it just comes down to him being more established. He's an established leader of the team. I mean, it's hard to quantify how much of an effect that can have on the squad's performance. But I suspect that the players, uh, his, the other England players probably prefer Ben Youngs there. With Willie Hines, for me, it's never been about performance. I just, and I don't want to go down this road, but I just, I just don't think he should have been picked because he's not English and he's not.
0: It's about the color of his passport.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd like, I think Ben Spencer had done enough anyway. Yeah. Uh, Dan Robson obviously has had that serious, uh, what did he have?
2: Knee injury, wasn't it?
1: But then he ended up getting blood clots or something, something nasty. And so, I mean, you just couldn't take Dan Robson because he hasn't been able to play enough. But I thought Ben Spencer had done enough. And uh, I mean, it doesn't matter. Willie Hines is there. And as you say, yeah, if you want to win the World Cup, you're probably more likely to win it with him there than Ben. Yeah. I've Ben Young's has been another bit of a disappointment for me because what I've always said about Ben Young's is regardless of his club form, he tends to come good for England, but I don't feel that that's really been the case. But
0: with the Ben Young's Danny Care pairing, it was always about Ben Young's is that it's about game management. And then Danny Care takes advantage when, when it opens up. I, I don't think his game management is good enough. I don't think he's, he necessarily makes the right choices of when to kick. And when he does make the choices of when to kick, I don't think he's picking the right length on his kicks. Yeah. I, and that's just maybe, isn't it? Maybe I'm giving him too much credit to say that he's, he's choosing how long he kicks it. Maybe he's just actually
2: kicking crap at the moment. I don't know. But yeah. his box kicking has always been, has always been questionable. Um, very quickly, back to the game. We've got uh, Jack Knoll and Mako Vinopolo making their returns. It was great to see Jack Noel come on and score a try. The try scored was excellent. Typically, Jack Knoll bumping off a defender, you know, getting around the outside. We all know Noel's not the quickest, but he he always offers more goad forward. And that's the other thing. We're talking about ball carriers. If you've got Jack Nowell on the wing, instead of um, Watson or instead of May or Thokin Isiga, he will come inside. He will... Find work in the midfield as opposed to staying on his wing. Now, I think you've got to have one winger that does that, and Johnny May is the is certainly the the number one guy I'd imagine for for England to do that. But you know, Watson, Noel, and Filconesiga are, are all been puppers or fighting for that for that other wing spot.
0: Yeah, I again for me, I, I quite like to see Watson start and then Noel come on towards the tail end. Um, and don't get me wrong, I I think Jack Noel's a fantastic player. I just think it matches that control and then um, letting loose towards the end. And He can find that, that,
2: bro- that broken field, can't he? Exactly.
0: Um, I, would he have scored the try that he scored if he'd have got that opportunity in the fifth minute of the match? I'm not sure he would have done. I think having tired players against him really
2: accentuates his his skill set. Where do you stand on the uh, the England winger situation, Eddie?
1: Yeah, no, I agree. that. I mean, that's almost literally what I was going to say. I got a note that I wrote down from the game. Um, Jack Null proves why he's there. Despite injury, you had to bring him. But where does he play? Because Johnny May and Anthony Watson have been outstanding. Um, and again, yeah, Jack Null coming on His versatility, having him on the bench, his versatility alone makes him useful on the bench. But yeah, he can just cause nightmares with a weakened, with a tiring defense. I don't know. I think they. I suspect that what's gonna happen is exactly that. I think Eddie Jones is gonna keep that back three of Johnny May, uh, Anthony Watson, and um, uh, Elliot Daly, and then have Noel on the bench. It makes a lot. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah.
2: Um. And the other, the other late try was for. The man, the legend Luke Dickey, the guy just literally scores tries for England. It's it's just incredible.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um he's he, he just seems to be blessed. <laughs> the number of opportunities he gets um
2: pretty much equals the number of tries he scores. Yeah. Do you know it reminds me a bit? Um He's obviously injured at the moment. You know, like Dane Coles for New Zealand. He always used to just, he was always on the back of the mall. He was always just there for an offload right on the try line he Hanging was out on the wing. Just it. yeah. But he would always be there. And he, I mean, Dane, to compare Luke Kaideki to Dane Coles is, is quite the reach as far as you know, all-round player goes, but he just had that knack of being in the right place at the right time to, to get the ball dotted down.
1: Yeah. I just want to say, um <laughs> I'm looking at my notes again, so I always write Luke, Cow, and Dickey down. I always abbreviate it to LCD and in probably the shittest thing anyone's ever written down regarding a, a anything ever, I put, again, LCD scores. Every match... Another liquid crystal display. <laughs> what a I, chance. It. <laughs> I knew thing. that. I knew that
2: was coming in yeah.
0: in, in nineteen eighty-five. Yeah. That would have been golden commentary.
1: Oh come on! Uh, not even then. It's so stupid. But anyway, yeah, I don't know.
2: <laughs> Although uh, you talk, you you talk about you talk about commentary, I heard somebody say it might have been today that, uh, and I can't remember who it was about, but somebody was more dangerous than climate change. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> At least that's, yeah, that's <laughs> on, on on commentary. Amazing. Um was it so, South African? I think it was a South Africa. It might have been Colby. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, it might have been about Cheslin Colby, who is probably more dangerous <laughs> yeah. than climate change. That guy's amazing. He is ridiculous. Um hopefully not uh exiting the World Cup too soon. But we will see because looking at the pool stages that are coming towards an end, decent segue there. Without like seamless. Mm. If I had even mentioned it, we could have just slipped into the the end of the pool stages. Um the games we have got left. So tomorrow we see
1: um Argentina versus the USA.
2: Has there been much uh, about the Rugby World Cup in the USA, yeah. Eddie?
1: Uh nothing, nothing at all. Um at least the area of the of the states that I'm in, you just never hear anything. Unless I'm trying to avoid a result, in which case people will run up to me on the <laughs> streets and start talking about the game somehow. Um, nobody's all
0: knows. on um, subscription as well, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I watch it all online. NBC Sports Gold. It's really great. Um, but no, I mean, the only person I've spoken to at all, and we might go off on a tangent here, is there's an Australian I know who uh, I'll talk to him because uh, he's into rugby. So it's nice. I get he's one of the few people I can talk to about rugby. But on the other hand, he is Australian, like I said. And um, is there anybody? Okay. So I've in the past, and I think I'm not the only person who's done this. I've had a, I've taken a bit of an issue with certain Irish fans for their arrogance. And they're mainly their whinging. But I will say since ireland have come crashing down to earth by turning into the worst team ever i've been i've been pleasantly surprised with the way that their fans and the players have sort of dealt with it um having said that i haven't been on twitter a lot so maybe i've just i've just missed it but I was going to yeah. say they've
2: not, they What you going to say? I, I don't think they've got any choice. After the the way what? they've acted previously, the, when mm. they lost to Japan, they they had a choice to either just suck it up and go, yeah, you know what, Japan were excellent on that day, and we just weren't as good, or they could be Joe Schmidt and say, well, the referee uh, turned around afterwards and said we should have. He gave three or four penalties that shouldn't have been given, or vice versa. It's like you know, well, I think it.
1: I think the I think what it is is that Michael Checker is such a an <laughs> um and such the epitome of of bad sportsmanship. Um, that also I sort of noticed a little bit in um, Michael Hooper, who's a great player, but he seems to they're not very good at losing, are they? And um, and so Australian fans in general. This guy I'm talking about that I won't name him, but the the guy I'm talking about that. I've sometimes talked about rugby the first thing he said to me uh he brought up the owen farrell tackle and said that oh he started at chest height and it slid up this is what i've noticed (laughs) if owen farrell is getting tackled either it's a a legal tackle or it's an elite an illegal tackle but he deserves it anyway um and if if any england player even hints at a high tackle they need to be banned for life, there is definitely a du- this double standard with, with the with the English players uh, that is bugging me a lot.
0: Yeah, no way, well, you're not wrong. Um, I think uh, in answer to your question about the Irish fans being being well mannered following the loss, yeah, Joe Schmidt was a bit of a dick. It's fair to say some of the Irish press um, have been salty as anything about it. To be fair to most Irish fans, they've just gone really quiet. Um, yeah
1: And I think I heard Alan Quinlan said that he would rather England win the World Cup than Wales, which I thought was unusual. I yeah, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. But it that, that took the edge off as well. but um, but Australia, yeah, Michael Checker, I've always you know he's like, no one will be able to see this, but every match, every call that goes against Australia no matter how blatantly fair it is he'll be gesticulating throwing his hands up oh what the fuck oh god and uh after that wales loss it was pathetic god i really can't stand that guy it really
0: really so I, was so i i thought i thought coaches wrote down like tactical things in their notebooks as the game was going along but i reckon he just writes down every decision that goes against australia
1: oh, i think to say he just writes down wanker <laughs> yeah yeah Okay, I think
2: he's, he's almost become a bit of a caricature of himself. Do you not think he's just, he's just got to the point now where he goes, ah, who gives a fuck? And is that a just, polite
0: way of saying he's become a
2: prick? More of a prick.
1: right? He's yeah. become even more of yeah. a prick. I just think that that Australia, that whole setup is screwed. I think that the, it starts at the top and it goes right through the team. And, um, In many ways, the way that he falls apart on the sidelines um, is sort of symbolic of what's happening with that team. Now we're going to play them in the quarterfinals and lose or something. It's
0: ever since they got rid of God's messenger.
2: Oh, yeah. Yes. They need a scapegoat now,
1: don't they? They need somebody else to blame. They need someone with good moral values. (laughs)
2: <laughs> so you you quite rightly mentioned there Eddie that the the winner of our pool pool C will take on the runner up in pool D which is likely to be um Wales or Australia. Now we can we can hope that Wales have a monumental meltdown against Fiji tomorrow and Fiji beat Wales uh and then Wales lose to Uruguay I think they play in the last match. Um which is highly unlikely really. Um so we could end up playing Wales or Australia in that final game, with the likelihood being if we win or avoid defeat against France, we will end up playing Australia in the in the quarter final. Mm. Um who would you rather play, first and foremost, Eddie? Would
1: you rather play Australia or a Wales? Australia. Every time. No question. Um okay i think i think wales are just a, a better team but also i think that psychologically we've kind of made australia our bitch and i don't want that to come back and bite me in the ass whereas wales will fancy their chances against us i think it's as i i feel i feel like if we play australia in the quarterfinals we're in the semis i can't i can't imagine losing to them
2: yeah so where are we? Paul C, winner of Paul C, plays the runner-up of Paul D. That's quarter-final one, and then we would play the winner of Paul B versus the runner-up of Paul A. So that potentially is a New Zealand um, semi, a New Zealand semi. Yeah, if that can't... goes to plan.
0: Well, I suppose the only hope, well, the only way it's not going to be a New Zealand semi realistically is if Ireland finish runner-up in their group and Ireland not come out in the quarters.
2: But, uh, that's that's not going to happen either
0: no it's not not the way Ireland to play um, so
2: so is there is there any merit whatsoever do you should we just scrap go, the next two weeks do you, but do you go down the do you, i mean this is ridiculous for me to say uh, but i'm going to say it anyway do you go right yeah, well we no. just we win every game or we win the games we've got left we get to new zealand in the semi-final we're going to have to beat them at some point anyway. If they knock us out in the semi final, then okay, we lost to New Zealand. What more could we have done? Or do you think there is any merit in going, well, if maybe if we don't beat France, we could play Wales and then potentially South Africa in the semi and meet New Zealand in the final? Do you think um, that anybody ever, ever thinks like that? Yeah.
1: I'm sure they do. I don't um, think it's a winning, it's a sort of admitting defeat. But more importantly, I don't feel that much more confident playing against South Africa than, than New Zealand. I, I, lately I've been getting a little bit pessimistic. I've sort of been feeling like maybe England is playing the same style of rugby as South Africa, just not quite as well. Um, Whereas with New Zealand, I know Clive Woodward has been getting slack for suggesting that the only team that could beat New Zealand is England. And I didn't read the article. But I sort of, even though I don't necessarily think we're the best team, I kind of feel like we probably have the best chance of beating New Zealand because what we do well when we do it really well is something that maybe New Zealand can't handle, whereas a team like South Africa potentially could handle. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, I, but I also think that sort of New Zealand are, I say, fortunate, or South Africa are unlucky, one of the two that that was both of their first game? Because I think if that had been the last game of the pool, I think it would be a completely different contest than what it was in that first game.
0: But, so going back to your original question, Russ, the only people who think like that, about potentially throwing a game to get an easier route, are ones that have no confidence in their ability to get anywhere near a final, um, which shouldn't be the case. Um, if it was New Zealand, South Africa, as the last game of the pool, I think it would have far more bearing on what happens in the knockout stages. Whereas it being the first game, I think South Africa have given themselves an opportunity to play themselves back to a position where whoever they play, they'll go in with confidence. If that was the last game, I think South Africa goes into a tough match fairly beat up on confidence. So from from a tournament perspective, I think it's better that it was the first game.
2: Yeah, Fair enough, um, but the winners and the runners up of that pool play the winners and the runners up of Pool A, which is currently headed up by the absolute uh, legends that are in Japan at the moment. And I've loved every minute of watching yeah. Japan this tournament. It's just been so so good to see them grow. I mean, play play three one three two lots of bonus points. You know, they have done everything. That could possibly have been asked of them, and you know, I th- genuinely, Scotland should be very, very worried about their ability to qualify.
1: Yeah, yeah. Japan are everybody's second favourite team, aren't they? Um, Scotland have got to beat Russia first. Before they well, they've got they've, they've got a
2: they've got a bonus point Russia. They've got a bonus point Russia and beat Japan.
1: Yeah, that, that, a, the, I see the bonus point. I I think Japan are going to beat Scotland. Ah, shit. As
2: soon
1: as I said that I doubt. <laughs> now, it's hard
2: to are... to Scotland. Well it's it's interesting though because if even, even, if, even if even if they, they bonus beat. point them, if they bonus point them and don't bonus point Japan, oh, Japan will go point. through. Well, looking at the the table so far, Japan have got two bonus points. They played three, one, three, two bonus points. Scotland have played two one one, lost one, obviously. Um, but they've got a points difference of plus ten. And one bonus point. So let's let's say they beat Russia by thirty points, right? They get a bonus point. That gives them two bonus points, ten with a points difference of plus forty. Japan have got a plus forty six, so they then have to beat Japan by six points. So it's not even as if they've just got to beat Japan. They've got to they've got to put well, themselves in a position where they've got to, you know, even they, if they, they have, just squeak past Japan.
0: They have to stop Japan getting a bonus point.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the other thing. They, Japan could get a losing bonus point or a try bonus point, and it's all over for Scotland anyway. God,
1: that'd be great, wouldn't it? Like, I generally, um, I generally do like the home nations to do well, uh, but I would love it if um, Japan got through at Scotland's expense. It would be great for world rugby. It would be great for world rugby, which I don't necessarily care about. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, 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 I i've been quite vocal about that i just generally want england do, to do well and if we have to crush a few other nations um <laughs> um so be it um but yeah especially with the world cup being in japan it would be very cool um i can't i've, I've no idea what's going to happen there though but it's going to be gut,
2: interesting to find
1: out my gut tells me it's going to be japan and ireland getting through which is in- insane
2: yeah, I mean that Japan Scotland game is on Sunday, I believe. Um, um, Sunday at eleven forty-five. So that's the, la- the very the very yeah UK time. So okay. like ridiculously yeah. early in the morning for you. Yeah. Um. But so that's the last game of the pool stage, and and we all we know that that is going to be a deciding game because Japan have only got one game left, and Scotland have got to beat Russia. So you know, fairly confident Scotland will do what they need to do. And then that very last pool game, I mean, those those last games on a Sunday, those last Sunday games of the pool stage, there's Namibia versus Canada, mm-hmm. there's USA versus Tonga, Wales versus Uruguay, and then Japan versus Scotland. It's like, wow, <laughs> some, <laughs> some incredible scheduling there, world rugby. Yeah. So but, uh, uh, we haven't
1: even talked about, um, we playing, we, did we talk about England against France? Well, we, ha- we haven't
2: kind of previewed it, but we can do that now. We've got to. Let's do that now.
1: All right, you first. I've got nothing to say.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing, right? I put something down the other day. France, dog shit might have been a bit strong, but France have not been good. No. They squeaked past Tonga. They squeaked past um, Argentina. And they also sort of squeaked past the USA. I watched that USA game and for the, you know, they looked like they were about to run riot yet. Every time they got a break, they they just fucked it up.
1: Yeah. Well, that's
2: what they did. And it was a little bit like, I mean, it was 33, nine in the end, but it just, it was just, it was poor and it was disjointed and it was very, very, Stereotypical French, you know. But what's also stereotypical French is to drag out all that dog shit for the for the group stage. Oh, we're playing England this Saturday. Let's turn into absolute warriors, and yeah. that's what worries me.
0: Given how France have been playing, if England don't come out of that with a bonus point win, it they'll they'll see it as, um, as a bit of a letdown um i get that france can turn it on every now and then and produce a fantastic result i just don't see this france squad doing it for more than about 15 minutes at a time let alone the 60 that they probably need to to turn it into a result i just don't see it um i think my my bigger concern is the fact that england are 15 points from 15 coming up against the dogshit france side having not really been challenged, coming into a quarterfinal against probably Australia, um, who, as much as, to coin Eddie's term, as much as they're currently England's bitch, have some bloody good players and can turn out a, a, a much better result. i have more concern that France are not going to give us enough of a challenge than a good France are going to turn up and turn us over.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... it's Sorry a cliche French listeners. Listen. Yeah. Um it's such a cliche but it's 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 always true it just depends which french team turn up although i do think i mean when was the last time so obviously there's the famous world cup in new zealand where they lost to argentina wait was that the one where they lost was that, to argentina that's in france wasn't it yeah. is that the one where they got to the final
2: yes yeah. OK,
1: so I'm getting confused. But yeah, lost their opening game, looked like crap, uh, literally had a mutiny and then almost won the whole thing. But I sort of feel like not too confident, but I do feel like those days are kind of behind them. I think they've now gone down the road of just, um, yeah, being dog shit, as you said. Or
0: it, it would be very French for them to effectively put out a second team and say, we've qualified for the quarterfinals. Let's just um not risk anybody, stick out don't really care about this game, almost throw it and concentrate on the quarterfinal against Wales. Yeah,
1: that wouldn't be good.
2: there's talk of the, the disarray in the French camp already with Jacques Brunel and um Girard is it Girardo, the captain, and you're yeah, saying, yeah. Well, he's not the coach's captain, but he's the player's captain and it's that's all that's it's fucking nuts, is what it is. It's so French so French in the middle of a tournament you just you just couldn't write it but you know I, i'm not as confident as you Phil um i still think we'll win and quite frankly as long as we win i don't care top yeah. of the group tournament i you know i keep trying to tell myself the whole tournament rugby thing it doesn't matter about performances as long as you win yeah and that's it the be all and end all. If you play well and lose, well, you've been beaten on the day. Can't do much about that. If you if you can genuinely say you've you've nailed it down, but if you don't play well and win, that's when yeah, that's when you can start to gain a bit more confidence to know that sooner or later has got to come together, and you're going to be in a better position when it does.
1: Yeah, I do feel like England's performances while stuttering have been slowly building. Um, I don't think I didn't mention in the Argentina match. I thought we ended very poorly, um, but for the most part, I feel like we've been building at, uh, at a reasonable rate. And I, if I, if I had to bet, I would say we're going to beat France in uh, maybe, maybe not in the best game ever. And then it'll be on to the quarterfinals where I think we will uh, annihilate Australia. That would be really nice. It would be really nice, and I think that's what's going to happen. If we so, can, if we can, like, yeah.
0: So, really so for, for me, beating France um, is important. It'd be lovely if we could finish the group stage with the best defence.
1: that'd be nice. I mean, Where are we at now? How are we?
0: The best at the moment. So, 20 points against. Um, you've got Ireland on 22, New Zealand on 22, um and yeah that's it in the 20s
1: nice hmm.
2: good stat phil well done um, nice done my homework oh well there's a first time for, <laughs> there's a first time for anything um, and for,
1: faces there. oh wow phil Phil's good at stats
2: <laughs> <laughs> well he's got to take the mantle up ben's usually the stats man isn't he so he's uh oh, yeah picked up the mantle um before we shuffle on into some any other business, any more Rugby World Cup stuff that you want to chat through, Eddie?
1: Um, probably. Uh, sorry. Um, I don't know. As I said, I've been uh, completely overwhelmed. I've watched too much uh, World Cup and it's my brain's dissolved. Uh, does anybody know how many tries Cobus Reinex scored in the in the South Africa match today or yesterday? Three. He scored three, three today. Three in the end? Yeah. Patrick. Okay. Good. I put him in my uh, fantasy team at the last minute. So. Oh. For and usually. usually you that...
0: Patrick.
1: Yeah. Usually, I pick somebody in my fantasy team, and they they get their leg broken, and then they never <laughs> play. So that was nice. Sure. Um.
2: Controversially, I think Jacobus Ryback is better than Fausterklok.
1: The I know. think he is too. I, I was it's just not, thinking that
0: It's not controversial at all. I. Yeah. Fast their third best scrum half, as far as I'm concerned. What, are you going to put uh, who? Ha? And no, the, no. Yanchis. Because...
2: Yeah, The
1: yeah, Oh, Yan-chees. the other,
2: other Yanchis.
0: Yeah, although he was dog shit today.
2: It
0: Parsons is crazy. all over the place.
1: I've mentioned this before, I'm sure, but it is crazy to me that, in my opinion, at least arguably, the three best scrum halves in the Premiership are all South African, because... I would definitely take Ryanek. I would definitely take Thefter de Clerk, And I would take Francois Huckard when he's played for Worcester. You see how amazing he is. Um, and it's weird because whilst the greatest scrum-up of all time, in my opinion, used Van of investor, Hazen was South African. Generally, when you think of South African strength, you think of big men. You think of big yeah. forwards. And yet they have this just incredible... Um, Number of world-class scrum halves that they always have. It's it's sort of. It's not something anyone tends to talk about, but it's undeniable. Mm. They've got a lot of
2: a lot of very good players, haven't they? That seem to just ply their trade around the world, and it's only now that they changed. They kind of changed their structure a little bit to enable these guys to because they changed all their cap ruling, didn't they? Which is Um, let
1: me just. I was going to say this is controversial. It's not, but it might just be. Uh, wrong. Does anything else feel like, um, which is not controversial for me to be wrong, um, is Khaleesi that great? He
0: was. I think he's. I think he's a bit Richard Hillish. That okay. all the uh, like in terms of the people that play with him, rate him very highly. He do, he really doesn't do very much um, overtly, which makes you think that he must be doing quite a lot covertly.
1: Maybe. Like, every time I've seen him play, he's been practically anonymous. Yeah. And then they talk about him like, like, he's this world be. You contrast him with someone like Ardi Surveyor, who has become, I, I think, the best back rower on earth. That guy blows my mind.
0: It's, it's, uh, it's very easy to, for him to do what he does when he ignores the sideline for the entirety of the match. Ow. Now we're getting
1: controversial.
2: Okay.
0: So, Draw a line. Draw a line on the back foot, and Ardi Savai is always two steps in front of it every single play. Really
2: um, like that. That's that. But, that's that. A black cloak of invisibility, and I'm yeah. talking about the Colours, shirts uh, that the All Blacks yeah. wear. <laughs> right.
0: But no, you're right. Um, I think Kalisi always appears relatively anonymous in the matches. Um, going back to what you're saying about South African scrum halves, and you think of South Africans as being big players. The team they stuck out today was a very mobile team, um, and they looked at a completely different and very effective animal. Albeit they were
2: playing Canada. I think they're going to be super dangerous in the in the last stage of this World Cup, South Africa. Yeah. Like super dangerous. Um, um, and well, and I think in their half of the draw, as it, as it transpires, finishing second to New Zealand will be the best thing that could have happened to them. Because they don't have to play them then potentially until the final or whoever beats them. Um
0: one other observation from the World Cup, I've been quite disappointed by the Pacific Nations. Given yeah. that given that it's it's the closest well, it's not the closest, obviously, New Zealand's the closest. It's relatively close to being a home World Cup for them. Um I I think they've they've gone backwards. Um I'm hoping tomorrow will uh, change that opinion. Um, but... It's weird.
1: So many of the so many of the tier two nations um, seem to have progressed a lot. Like I mean, so even like Russia, who are obviously they're not going to beat anyone. But I expected them to be humiliated every match because there was some controversy about how they even got into the World Cup. Uh, I don't know. Are you aware of that? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so like. I mean, I, I
0: put it on the WhatsApp group that I really, I've really enjoyed watching the way they play. They, yeah. they play. they play with no fear. They know they're going to lose, but they just they throw everything into it and they put themselves out there. And, put it, and I love the fact that their fly half, whenever he does an up and under, he doesn't even look at where the ball's going. He just looks at his feet. Yeah. You, you, you watch, he looks at his feet, kicks it and continues staring at his feet for about three seconds and then looks to see where the ball's gone.
1: I have noticed that um but yeah and then you contrast it with yeah like that's the that Samoa team i've said this on my own podcast but i just remember in the past every samoa team has always had two or three superstars two or three monsters that everybody knows and this has been the most anonymous kind of samoa team i've ever seen there's nobody in that there's no one in that samoan side i'm just thinking there's yeah, really nobody in that in that team that just terrifies you in the way it did when there were the two Alangis and well, I Brian.
0: Jack Glams, the, the talisman who can't even dad, dad, is he can he,
2: he can't get in the Bristol yeah. side. I mean the only he's... you look at that you look at that Samoa side and you're right, Eddie. Where are the you know, the Brian Lemas of this world and the you know, they've got the only player who I think stands out is Tim Nanai Williams, but even he hasn't when he used to, I remember watching him play for New Zealand sevens lots of years ago. And just thinking this guy's feet are incredible, like almost Cheslin Colby levels of incredible. And you put him in a very, very average Samoa side and it's just, he then becomes, becomes very average. Um, but you're right. And Fiji losing to to Euro to Uruguay, I mean that was un- unforgivable, really, for Fiji. You know, as well as Uruguay played and the passion they showed that day, yeah, Fiji really didn't turn up.
1: Yeah, when you compare how they played against Australia, where it was actually almost terrifying to watch the way they manhandled. I can't remember what the 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 final score was in that match, but it really felt like at least for the first half men against boys just just the, the 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 physical mismatch and i felt like oh my god fiji are gonna you would assume develop throughout the tournament they're gonna be a real nightmare and they just completely it's like they just stopped trying Every, i mean everybody knows they are mentally fragile um and uh Psycholog- can, can, can suffer psychologically more than most teams but how how could they lose to Uruguay that's unbelievable
2: I mean tomorrow against Wales should be their you know their game to really push for qualification to the to the quarterfinals for Fiji and as it stands they are now you know all but out I, of
1: it and I yeah after at the beginning of the of the the World Cup after that Australia match, I thought, oh, Wales are going to have the, have a hard time once they face face Fiji. But I'm actually not. I think it'll be a comfortable win for Wales. Right, if I if can't Fiji see. would have
0: beat Uruguay, they'd be sitting top of their group
1: at the moment. Yeah, who did they just spanked somebody? Who was it? Georgia, forty five ten. Oh yeah, I was going to say Georgia. Also, I'm disappointed in Georgia's yeah. the team that everybody's been talking about replacing Italy with, and all this. And it's like, there's still, I mean, there's still nothing.
2: Yeah, they haven't got enough around the park, Georgia, for me. You know, they've got those big, strong forwards that that can be got on top of. Um, Fiji got on top of them in the scrum to a certain extent as well. And then once Fiji started running the ball, Georgia were, they were literally all over the place.
1: Yeah, I think Georgia start, sort of started believing their own hype because people love to big up the Georgian front row, the Georgian scrum, the you know, how hard the players are. And um, they haven't been able to back it up. But that's, as a general theme, I would say that the Tier, tier 2 rugby has been a success in this World Cup.
2: Yeah, I, yeah. Think that I think the lower, the ones that you weren't expecting to be better have been a lot better. And maybe the ones that might have been expected to, to do a bit more probably haven't. So maybe that gap has got closer and, yeah. and the and the tier one tier two gap has probably got a little bit far further apart, maybe. But you know, Japan aside, I think that, that that's probably fair to say.
1: And don't forget, um, Italy is still currently on track to go through ahead of New Zealand. So. Oh, absolutely.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, just just avoid uh, avoid defeat to New Zealand um, tomorrow. Is that tomorrow again? Well, and uh, yeah, Italy Italy will qualify. Um, controversially, I, I know he's going to retire after the World Cup, but, um, already Italy are a better side without Sergio Parise. Oh yeah. It.
1: That's something I meant to mention. Why they had that back. I can't remember any of the players except obviously, um.
2: Jake Paledri, Pelleggri. Yeah. There's the, uh, is it, is it uh, Negri's a second row. Uh, I'm um, trying to say- it might be, was it Stain?
1: shit it's Brandstain. um
2: brandstein
1: brandstein yeah he so they moved him to blindside ahead of the guy whose name i can't remember fuck who well whoever it was that that italian back row as you say without sergio preci looks yeah i said world class i don't wanna say world class but looks like better. the real <laughs> yeah, yeah. Better. better
2: i mean when i watched though i watched them on friday against south africa and Jake Jake Pledger again was outstanding. Dwayne, he he sent Dwayne Vermeulen into a different postcode at one point, which was lovely. And then, you know, a few minutes later, Vermeulen got his own back, and that was just a great contest. And you think two massive blokes powering at each other is just
1: absolutely how massive? How massive is Pledger? In my head, he's not that. I think bad. he's a I, th-
2: I think he's a big boy but he's not like Vunipola massive. Not,
1: well, he's he's
2: yeah. not as big as he
0: plays. That's
1: what I was going to say he definitely plays like a bigger player. Yeah, good shout. Um, it's kind of like a... 6
0: foot 2 106
2: kilos according he's, to Wikipedia. He's literally like about 3 kilos heavier than me, than say and the same size, which is a bit weird.
1: Exactly the same proportions.
2: Yeah and obviously i'm a bit more stacked
1: but you know
2: we won't talk about that <laughs> i've got a better i've got a better beard or i have You're a beard i do i have a i have a beard um however you determine that right let's skip on from from the rugby and let's get into some any any other business just to, to wrap up this week um phil it's been a little while since you've been on have you got any uh anything else Yeah, I've had loads of any
0: other business that I've...
2: Any other biz nigh.
0: Yeah, exactly, Um, that I've uh, forgotten because obviously they weren't that important. Um, But yeah, uh, let's let's go cross-sport and talk about the World Athletics Championships. Um, One absolute fast to have it on at the same time as the Rugby World Cup in Doha or Qatar or wherever it is with events starting in the middle of the night. Like, the whole thing's just totally screwed up um and it's a fast of a games anyway because you know they're all just drug cheats um and as much as they claim not to be it's it's like the tour de france if you if you look at the tour de france and look at all the winners that have taken drugs versus all of those that haven't been caught yet um it's a very stacked list on one side and it's exactly the same in athletics and and field events and i'm sure there's some clean athletes out there um they're just probably running around yuki sports center um Mm-hmm. So yeah, just like they should have just jacked it off and said we're going to have no World Athletics this year instead of staging it in a farce of a town in the middle of the night at the same time that there's a Rugby World Cup going on.
2: Yeah, agree. And those empty, the st- people doing laps of honour around empty stadiums—it's just well, it was a bit fast
0: wasn't it? They halved the capacity to twenty thousand, twenty thousand for the World Athletics from forty thousand, and there was it was about twenty
2: percent full and that's it's where true. the football world cup is in two years next year yeah. allegedly two years four years three years however long whenever that is who cares i, Look,
1: I wasn't even aware that this was happening no I, I, know, I
2: wasn't
0: until about 10 days in and it was only because it was a it was a dry day at work so i was
2: surfing bbc sports for something interesting there we go eddie any yeah. other business for you
1: yeah uh my sister's about to get married in uh, in a couple of hours. <laughs> today, where, where?
2: Actually, in, in in America yeah. or in the UK?
1: Yeah, yeah, like fifteen minutes from me. I have to go and uh, but it's gonna be a weird wedding. I have a sh- my family's weird. Um, I can probably sum up how weird it is when I by telling you that I messaged my brother earlier and said, "What are the odds that Daniel, who she's married, guy the guy she's marrying, that Daniel will be wearing the dress?" <laughs> it's, uh, wow. It's very strange. And and it's apparently it's clothing is uh, fancy dress or or op- wedding. Or so optional. Op- optional. You can literally wear anything you want. I'm probably gonna wear a suit. But um <clears throat> you you all traditionalist. Might, I might look out of place.
2: Imagine going to a wedding and looking out of place in a suit.
1: Yeah. Well, wearing... To be fair, in New Mexico most weddings you go to people are wearing jeans it's it's uh it's you a weird... should go
0: wearing what you're wearing now the village people wife beater really suits you
1: <laughs> this, is <just> a, <laughs> this is just a white t-shirt what are you talking about <laughs> is it my nipples i am oh dear yeah uh, the,
0: the rings are poking through
1: <laughs> well i told you it's, I, I come from a weird family uh, all of us have that <laughs> um so yeah, I've got to go get some beer for that in a minute because I've just been—I've just found out I—I uh, I had a keg filled, but it was only a half keg, which is sixty-two US pints.
0: It's—it's it's bring your own to the wedding.
1: No, I just was supposed to get the beer organised. Oh, right, okay. And, uh, <laughs> you and, have uh, one job. Yeah. Well, my my mother picked it up and decided it wasn't enough, so now I have to go and get some more. And I don't, I don't know how much beer these. Big, I don't know, but uh, that's that's my day. Right. Whilst having a, a screwed up back, which oh. has been I don't know if you've seen me twisting and turning throughout this podcast, but believe me, I'm suffering. Oh, now you've
2: got to go to a wedding. Wedding with a bad back. That yeah, I
1: can't what's a thing to do to people that is to have a wedding.
2: Who has a, who has a wedding on a Tuesday afternoon as well?
1: That is weird. But even just I've just decided to just weddings Tight in general. J- what's that?
0: Type people have a wedding on a Tuesday afternoon.
1: Oh, yeah. Could be that. they do
2: they do in the UK. I can't imagine it's out a place in somewhere near Albuquerque.
1: I don't know, but I'll bring it up during the ceremony.
2: <laughs> yeah, just interrupt the speeches, you tight bastards. Yeah. Um. Okay, I, I'll go last. First things first. I uh, just wanted to say a, a huge uh, get well soon. I've just seen on on the BBC Sport Rugby page that uh, Johnny Williams, the Newcastle centre, one of the the loves of my life. Um bit of a man crush has been diagnosed with testicular cancer so he's being treated at the moment so uh a big go well to to Johnny Williams obviously he'll hear this and and respond um but my any other business is a little bit about extinction the hypocrisy of extinction rebellion and their ability to go so catastrophically over the top whilst missing the point of what they're trying to achieve. You know, if if they were to, I saw people uh, a few months ago do a silent protest on the floor in Waitrose of Tower Bridge. And you just think, you know, could you be any more middle class than laying down in Waitrose? Um, and now I saw some people, some Extinction Rebellion people, um, filmed going from their uh, sort of picket, Extinction Rebellion picket, to go and get some lunch at McDonald's and um, you, they just don't see, they don't seem to see the, the irony or the hypocrisy of, of what they're no. doing. And it's just like they're fucking idiots.
0: I, I kind of get the whole lie down protest in Waitrose though, because nothing's going to get action quicker than rich people not being able to get their asparagus. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> I just <laughs> fucking, I just yeah. think, I just think, you know, it's, the whole thing is just ridiculous. Yes, something needs to be done, but there's got there's got to be a better way. And I, I just did. I I completely disagree with pretty much every single way that these people go about trying to make their point.
1: Did I tell you? Uh, did I tell you about the time that I was performing in a comedy club in Albuquerque and people were outside protesting it because they said that the owner doesn't respect women. So, it, it, long story, but the irony was they're standing outside this club with billboards. Boycott the Comedy Vault, it's called. Boycott the Comedy Vault. They don't respect women, and the club was literally next door to a strip club. <laughs> and <there's> strippers <laughs> outside going... <laughs> what? It's insane.
2: So the comedy the comedy club hates women, and uh, there's blokes putting money in, in G-strings next door.
1: Yeah. Ah, there you go. A... yeah
2: choices choices um eddie it's been an absolute pleasure to welcome no. you into my house rather than your shed um i hope you've enjoyed it thanks for coming on uh we love listening to to your ramblings whether mobile or stationary um and i hope it was nice to, to talk to some other people
1: yeah thank you it was an honor as always Nice to get to chat with Phil as well. And Phil, I'll have to have you um, on my uh, podcast at some point. I won't blow you off next time. No,
2: it's fine. Unless requested.
1: Yeah, well, (laughs) it'd be tricky.
2: um and phil uh as always good to see you welcome back um we'll be back in some guys you know ben me eddie doug whoever well we might be back at some point in the next in the next week two weeks and talk a bit more about the world cup and, and some general rugby uh ramblings uh until such time it's uh it's been a pleasure go well
1: Network.